Hey folks, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. Whether it's your first time or you've been here since the beginning, we are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual walk and look forward to all that Christ is doing in your life. If you are looking for more information about Christ Church or you would like to connect with one of our pastors or ministry leaders, you can reach us on our website, ccgf.org. You can also connect with us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Here is this week's message. Grace and peace to you. We are in the midst of our our study of the book of Philippians. It's a nine-week series. And today we're going to bring to a conclusion what I would consider to be a trilogy of sermons on on the the, the chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. And so if you haven't caught the previous messages, this message will make more sense. It'll make sense no matter what, hopefully, but it'll make more sense if you catch the previous two. You can go online and check those out. Robbie's has done a great job reading what is, I believe, the heart of Philippians 2, this incredible portrait of Jesus that we've been talking about during the past three weeks. And and this section, um, I believe, depicts total submission. Total submission. You could say total submission of Jesus. But as Robbie pointed out as he was reading the text, it points out the total submission of the world. That everyone, one day, everyone will submit to Jesus. That's one of the things we see reflected here. Every name, every tongue is what it says. Every knee will bow, and they will bow to this one, Jesus, the God-man resurrected. This state being the, the result of him having the name above all names. We're to be in awe as we consider this Jesus. His humility, his exaltation, his divine nature brought forth in in the form of a man. Let me ask you a question. Do you trust Jesus? As you consider what Robbie read to us, as we, we look at this passage and we see this portrait of Jesus, I hope that we'll be in awe. I hope I'll be in awe of who Jesus is. And I'll get a sense of just how majestic he is. The one that every name, every tongue, every knee will all bow in submission to him. It's total submission. And we're told that we're to have the same mindset, the same mindset that was in Christ. That's a tough thing. We see a description, actually, of his mind in this passage as we've just read it. We've been meditating on it for the the past few weeks. And we see a description of his mind. We have, really, a great example, the ultimate example in Jesus Christ. But Jesus is more than an example. I mean, he's not just an example. He's God. He's deity. He didn't subtract his deity. He added to it human nature. Jesus is God. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's our Savior. Do you feel that today? That's what we see in this passage. And we also have this human example in Jesus Christ. What a God we serve. And his example is to be our obedience. His example is our obedience. You know, you could say that, that, that uh, Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11 is, is the foundation of the entire book of Philippians. You could say that this passage that we just read, that Robbie shared with us, is the entire foundation of the New Testament. 
hey, we can make an argument that it's the foundation of the entire scriptures. All of it hangs on this, who Jesus is and what he accomplished at the cross. You know, what we looked at last week, verses 12 through 18, well, that's the implications. As we consider Jesus and who he is, we see the implications for our life, that we would be a people who work out our salvation with fear and trembling, that we would be a people who, who seek to witness to Jesus and what he's done in our lives, that we would be a group of people who together worship God with all that we are. And now today, we're going to get to the conclusion, the last section of chapter 2, and here we have examples, examples of what it looks like to actually live out this mind of Jesus. And these aren't examples like, we've seen the example of Jesus, that's a powerful example, maybe one that's hard for us to feel like we can attain. But then we have the example of Paul, we're going to talk about his example But we get the example also of two ordinary guys. We're going to meet them in just a moment. You know, speaking of examples, I'll give you an example of an ordinary person who had this mind of Jesus, I believe, right here from the Pittsburgh area. Her name was Rose Gates. Rose Gates, get this, had 18 children. A collective, like, sigh just went across the room. I said 18, one husband, and those 18 children, well, they gave her 47 grandchildren. Some women are about to pass out. She had 59 great-grandchildren. At the time of her death, she had four great-great-grandchildren. Incredible. What an incredible woman. Here's something I could tell you about Rose Gates. Not only did she have this very large family... She obviously loved children. She was a Sunday school teacher. Not just any Sunday school teacher, incredibly committed, incredibly devoted. She was a Sunday school teacher for decades, decades. She loved children. And she loved to tell children, this is appropriate as we celebrate summer day camp, what God did here this week. She loved to tell children about Jesus. She loved to do that. I could tell you this because she was my Sunday school teacher, Rose Gates. What a woman. What an impression she made on my life. She was an example to me. In fact, as I think about it, I would say she was probably the first person to ever share the gospel with me, Rose Gates. I'm so thankful for her. What a fitting name, by the way, Rose Gates, a beautiful woman who loves showing people into the kingdom, especially children. Rose Gates, what a woman. We've all had examples in our lives, right? People that, that, that God has used to make an impact in our lives. In fact, last week, again, we were talking about how God has sent people to invest in us. And I asked you to, to imagine those faces in your mind. Can you picture them? God has sent people to be an example to you, an example to us in the faith. We've all had those examples. Well, this section of Scripture that we're going to look at today encourages us to study and to learn from good examples. Good examples. There's a lot of examples out there. Sometimes maybe you're, you're buying into some bad examples. Maybe there's some examples, whether it's in the popular uh, culture sector or, or whatever it might be in the workplace, that, that might be bad examples. The Scriptures point us to good examples. And they show us what these truths about Jesus, 
They show us what having the mind of Jesus actually looks like. Concrete examples, not abstract examples. That's what we're going to look at today, some concrete examples of what the mind of Christ looks like. Let me ask you this question. Do you have good examples in your life right now? you have good examples? I mean, I think with children often, they have good examples in their lives, teachers and coaches and, and family members, right? Do you have good examples in your life right now? People you look to. People who are influencing you in terms of what it means to live for Jesus. You have good examples in your life. I'll ask you another question related to this. Are you a good example? Are you a good example starting at home? Are you the kind of person who, who's making an impact on a next generation akin to that of a, a Rose Gates? Are you a good example? This is what we're going to consider as we look at this passage. We're going to consider the power of an example. We have three examples of examples this morning that Paul gives us. Would you go there again with me? We're in Philippians 2. We're going to pick up in verse 19. And actually right now I want to look at verses 19 and 25. You'll see these on the screen. You have them in front of you with your Bible. Let's consider the examples. The first example we're going to talk about is that of the Apostle Paul, the author of this epistle. Let's go ahead and, and look at what he's written in this letter to us. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, Paul says, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Skip down to verse 25. He says, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. Okay, so we start here with Paul putting two guys in the spotlight, Timothy and a guy named Epaphroditus. And he puts these men in the spotlight rather than himself. I think this is really important because I believe that Paul's example to us here is that of humility, that of humility. He puts two other people in the spotlight. There's no self-promotion here with the Apostle Paul. We live in days when there is such a thing as celebrity pastors. You ever heard of this? Celebrity pastors. And when it comes to celebrity pastors, well, platform is important and brand is important. These are the kind of things that are talked about. You know, I ever heard someone in the Commons not too long ago, and, and they said, hey, do you think that Pastor Craig aspires to be a celebrity pastor? And the person said, well, I hope not, because his preaching, with that preaching, he's going to be infamous, right? <laughs> no, we don't want to be celebrity pastors. We don't want to be a church that's known for Robbie, sorry, Robbie, being Robbie, being a celebrity pastor. We don't want that. What we desire to be is a people who are known for Jesus, right? That's what we desire. We desire to be a people who, whose platform is the body of Christ. And we reflect the glory of God to the community and to the world. That's what we desire to be. Paul was rejecting the, the trappings of, of the celebrity pastor game in his day. He didn't want to make that the brand, right? I want to be careful as I say all this because in doing this, I may come off as arrogant, as if I'm better than someone. I'm not. I'm simply calling us to a higher standard. And Paul here sets the example of humility. And Paul says, look, it's not about me. Let me put Timothy. Let me put Epaphroditus in the spotlight. And this is probably why we're calling this series Be Like Jesus. 
We want to be like Jesus. Paul was seeking to do this. Paul did not consider greatness something to be grasped. We see this reflected in, and again, that passage we read this morning, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Paul doesn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He doesn't need to be in the spotlight. Instead, you know what Paul did? Just what Jesus did. He was emptying himself. We talked last week that he was emptying himself like a drink offering. This is what it means to be like Jesus. I'll tell you what humility looks like. It looks like submission to Jesus. Submission. We talked about the total submission that's coming at the end of the world when every knee and every tongue will bow to the one whose name is above all names. Yes, total submission is what humility looks like. I mean, here you have Paul. Paul, who is a powerful, well-known, gifted apostle. And he's saying things like this. Once again, back to the text. Look at again verse 19, this time 23 and 24. Paul says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Skip down to 23. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I love this, that again, this powerful, well-known, gifted apostle, what does he do? He reflects humility. He could have strong-armed his way and said, I'm doing this. He could have demanded his way and said, I'm coming no matter what. No, he submits his best plans to the Lord. He submits his best plans to the will of Jesus. He says, I trust the Lord to do it. He says, I hope that that the Lord, I hope that in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. He says, I hope to send him. He says, I trust in the Lord. You see? He's basically saying, if it pleases Jesus, then this is my plan. He's saying, not my will, but his will be done. This is perfect submission. This is what we see reflected. This is humility. It reminds me of what we see in James, a little later in the New Testament, James chapter, chapter 4, I think we see Paul and his humility reflected in the words of James who says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are just a mist that appears for a little while. And then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. You see, this is humility. We see, of course, Jesus giving us the perfect picture, the ultimate picture of humility in the garden on the cusp of his death. What does he say in Luke 22, 42? Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will but your will be done. You see this. This is humility. Paul expresses, what's the example we follow? How are we to be examples? It's humility. You know what humility is for Paul? For Paul, humility was saying this to God. Have your own way with my life, Lord. Have your way with my life, God. This is humility for Paul. We live in a time where we say, I want it my way. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way, right? That's that's the kind of place we live in. That's our culture. I want to do it my way. I'm going to go my way. Paul, 
this mighty God says, no, God, you have your way with my life. And if that means being imprisoned in Rome, so, so be it. If that means martyrdom for me, then so be it. If, if that means being poured out as a drink offering, so be it. If that means being released from prison, so be it. How about your, your, your circumstances? Your relationship status? Your job? Your career? The things that you're longing for, the things you're desiring for, the circumstances you wish you could get out of, are you willing to say, God, have your way with my life? This is the example that we're following. Christ, Paul lived it out as well. It's the example of humility. It's a way that we say, have your way, Lord, with me. And that doesn't mean that you don't pray. It doesn't mean that you don't struggle sometimes. But it does mean you say this, God, you are in charge. You are God, and I am not. And so I surrender to you, God, have your own way with me. That's the example of humility we see. That's the example that's set forth for us that we're to follow in Jesus Christ. So we have our first example, that's Paul. It's an example of humility. Let's continue in the text. And now let's jump to verses 20 through 22 of Philippians 2. Going there now, and we're going to talk about Timothy and his example. Paul continues, and he says, For I have no one like him. This is Timothy. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I like this. Paul says, I have no one else like him. No one else like him. Another way of of, of interpreting the translation would be, I have no one else who is like-minded with me, which is a a throwback to verse 2 of chapter 2, which says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, of the same love, being of one mind and of of one spirit, right? One in spirit. This is that one soulness, this unified people. And Paul says that is exemplified through my relationship with Timothy. And how are they like-minded? How are they like-minded? We see it here in their care for the Philippian believers and their love for the Philippian believers. In fact, we see this, this expressed in a phrase that, that, that they both have this genuine concern for the welfare of God's people, the Philippians in this case. This is the mind of Christ. You know, what motivated Jesus in Philippians 2, 5 through 11? What motivated him to be the one who was humiliated, though he was God? What motivated him is love. Love is what motivated Jesus. He's motivated by love. And in the same way, the example that Timothy sets forth for us is an example of love. And I'll tell you this, not everyone else was like this. The scripture points out this, that that all seek their own interest. You catch that? And that's not just talking about people who don't follow Jesus. It's specifically talking about people who do follow Jesus. It says not everyone looks, uh, I'm sorry, all seek their own interests. Not everyone was like Timothy. Not everyone was like Paul, straining to follow the example of Jesus. Again, we see this in Philippians 2.4. 2.4 says this, 
We're not to look to our own interests, but each of us to the interests of others. Unfortunately, we as a people, we struggle with this, this idea, this concept, because we all want to seek after our own interests. I'll ask you a question. Are you a Philippians 1.21 Christian or a Philippians 2.21 Christian? There's a big difference. I mean, look at Philippians 1.21, which says this. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, my life is surrendered to Jesus. My life is given to him. True life is found in Jesus, not in my own pursuit of my own desires. It's found in Jesus. Philippians 2, 21, the other hand, says this. We just read it. Everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Are you a Philippians 1, 21 Christian or a Philippians 2, 21 Christian? Which one is it? I know this. I struggle between two worlds. How about you? Sometimes I want to live as if I'm living for Christ. I find my joy, my meaning, my purpose in him. And other times, I'm just looking out for my own interests. Ask my wife. That's a struggle, right? And maybe you feel that struggle today too. We are called to be Philippians 1.21 Christians. And this has been a problem for people for all time. In fact, the Roman Christians, that's who Paul's referring to here when he says that, that everyone looks out for their own interests. He's referring to the Roman Christians. The Roman Christians saw the Philippians, the people that this letter is written to, as a distant congregation. They saw this as another world. And because of that, they didn't come to help. Paul had hoped that the Roman Christians would care about the Philippian Christians. He says, no, unfortunately, everyone looks out for their own interest, not for the interest of Christ. You know, I'll tell you this week, you've already heard about the offering. The, the, the children this week during summer day camp were collecting money, take, were taking up an offering to support kids in Cambodia. All that money that, that they contributed through their offering is going to help our friends in Cambodia. We as a church have bound together to, to build an orphanage there. And the kids have, have bound together to build a playground for the kids who will be staying at the orphanage. And actually, we will give them a deluxe playground, and even more than that, with the, with the funds that they gave. What a great offering they gave. In fact, there were kids from a, near, a local neighborhood here called Cobblestone who went home after summer day camp sold lemonade, sold bracelets they had made to their neighbors, and raised $300. And they gave it in that offering. Isn't that amazing? You know what that expresses? Those who look out not just for their own interests, little kids, but look to the interest of others. That's what we're called to. We're called to that with, with our giving. We're called to that in our service. We're called for that in our prayers. We're called to that in our, in our going to help actually put boots on the ground. We pray, we give, we serve, we go. Why? Because we don't want to look out just for our own interest, but for the interest of others. I love that children are modeling that for us. This next week, I'm going with a team of four to Guatemala. And we want to see, is there a way that we could partner in Guatemala? Is there a way that we could be a part of God's work there? We don't want to just look to our own interests, but to the interests of others. That's why we partner with Urban Impact on the, on the north side. That's why we partner with Choices. That's why we partner with YWAM. That's why we partner with Pine Valley. We do this because we don't want to just look to our own interests. And the idea is that we all get involved and we participate. We follow the example of Timothy, an example of love, of giving of ourselves.
And, and, and it's interesting, you know, back in those days, there was a way of life. And that way of life included mentorship, apprenticeship, if you will. And we see a, a, a connection to this in the passage as Paul says that, that as he describes Timothy, that he was a son and, and to, to Paul and that, and that he was like a father to Timothy. And back in those days, a, a person would learn from a mentor, a discipler, and they would learn by watching it first. And then they would be given small tasks. And gradually, they would learn all about the business, all about the trade, piece by piece. They'd put together their skills, and they would take over the family business or the trade. Look, if we are going to be a people of love, a people who look out for the interest of others, then we need mentors in our congregation, our people. We need to have mentorship as a movement here, discipleship. This has to be a part of who we are. We need mentors at every level. Listen, everyone here, at one moment or another, is mentoring someone. You're a mentor. You're modeling something to one another. Whether you're intentional about that or not, we're all doing that. I would argue that Rose Gates was my first mentor, my earliest mentor. We all need a mentor. We all need a mentor. Everyone that I'm talking to right now, you need a mentor. Many of you should be mentoring someone else. You're at a place where you should be pouring into someone. Mentoring should be a huge part of what we do. We see that Timothy was mentored. He was mentored by Paul, who was following the example of Jesus. And what came out of that is love, concern for others. They didn't just talk about it. They were putting their money where their mouth is, so to speak. They were going after it. Boots on the ground. I love it. So we see the example of Paul, an example of humility. We see the example of Timothy, an example of love. And now we continue in the text, and we see our third example, and that's of Epaphroditus. It's sacrificial service. Let's look, beginning in verse 25. Paul says about Epaphroditus, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus. By, his well, by the way, his name means charming. You might call him Prince Charming. I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, Prince Charming, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. You know, this Epaphroditus, he threw himself into the ministry. He threw himself into the ministry. We tend to believe that that kind of life, that way of living, well, that's for the clergy or that's for the church staff. And I don't think so. The, the, too many ministers often in the church I'm sorry, not too many ministers. Too many, um, too many um, spectators, I should say, and not enough participants in the church is what I want to say. This is a call to everyone who follows Jesus, not just the ministers, not just the clergy, not just the church staff. It's a call for all of us to throw ourselves in the ministry. That's why we talk about every member ministry in this church. I love that we had 155 volunteers this week. 
every member of ministry. Everyone say, you know what, I'll play a part of this. I'll play a piece. People leading games. People serving snacks. People telling Bible stories. People guiding kids through an experience. People singing songs with children. That's what we do. That's how we roll as a church. We're all in. We throw ourselves into the ministry. And we're to have a burden for those who are in difficult situations. We're to have a burden for missions in our church. We have examples of this in our body. Graham and Eileen Hodgins. They've been doing work in in Uganda through seed for many years. They have thrown themselves into ministry. Ed and Tammy Glover, through Urban Impact on the north side, they have thrown themselves into the ministry. Tim and Darlene Greco, through their family and the ministry of family, they've thrown themselves into ministry. I could go on and on and on as I look out here even this morning. People who have thrown themselves into ministry. The Ballesteris who just got back from Myrtle Beach, they were sharing the gospel, evangelizing there. They are throwing themselves into ministry. That's the example that we are to follow. We see self-sacrifice. Throwing abandon to the wind and going all in for ministry through, through this Epaphroditus. You know, he almost died. He's almost dying here. Do you hear this? And he's worried that the Philippians might be burdened by care for him as he's on his deathbed. He's like the original guy who says, merely a flesh wound. I'm good. Put me back in the game, coach. Rub some dirt on it, and I'm in. That's Epaphroditus. That's how all in he was. Look at verses 29 and 30. So receive him, Epaphroditus, in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus, he's someone to honor. He's someone to listen to. He's someone whose example we should follow. And what is it we follow in him? A self-sacrificial spirit. He laid his life on the line for the cause of Christ. It reminds us of what we read in Philippians 2, 5 through 11 again, where it says that Jesus took on the very nature of a servant. Here we see that, that Epaphroditus took on the nature of a servant. Though he was rolling with the big dog, Paul, he didn't consider greatness or celebrity something to pursue. No, instead, he took on the nature of a servant, even putting his life on the line to serve and love the church. You know, that reminds me of Rose Gates again. Rose Gates, I uh, read her obituary this week. She died 10 years ago at the age of 91. And her obituary lists, you know, the family connections, all the, the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. It says how she was devoted to her family. It's a pretty short read. And there's one little part in the middle that's kind of like the most important part in a sense. And it says this. This is a direct quote from it. Rose loved the many years she spent as a Sunday school teacher at Electric Heights United Methodist Church where she was a longtime member. That's her legacy. That's her example. She served her family. She served her church. Everything else was was just details. What she was about was humility and love and self-sacrifice. The truth is that Rose Gates had more than 18 children, more than 47 grandchildren, more than 59 great-grandchildren. She had spiritual kids. 
She had spiritual grandkids. I'm one of them. She gave of herself. Humility and love and self-sacrifice. Humility. She loved nothing more than the Lord's work. Love. She was constantly giving herself. How could you not with all those kids? She was constantly giving herself on behalf of the next generation. She did for her whole life. Self-sacrificing. She constantly put others' needs above her own. What an example. You know, Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, these men were not afraid to pay the price. We even see it reflected in the text today. And, and they were able to take on, they were willing to take on, that which is associated with ministering to others. They understood that to serve the Lord means taking up your cross. What's it mean to take up your cross? Look at these men, look at their example. They're following the example of Jesus that we see in Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And there's a common theme that binds together Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus and Rose Gates and the people we mentioned in this service, the people that you know who follow Jesus as examples to us. There's a common bond between them, and that's relationship and devotion to Jesus Christ. That is the common bond. The gospel is the reason for their passion the reason for their purpose, the reason for the power and the partnership they have in their lives. It's Jesus. He's the common bond. He's the common thread between them that binds them together. Look, there's a final lesson from this all as we consider these examples. When the gospel of Jesus gets under your skin, I mean really gets under your skin, when that happens, it reaches deep into our hearts. It possesses our souls, it becomes the pearl of great price. It becomes the treasure hidden in a field that you'll sell everything to get. That's what Paul lived like. That's what Timothy looked like. That's what Epaphroditus lived like. They lived that way because they encountered the risen Jesus. And you and I, we're called to follow the same example and to be example to others. They, apart from their passionate commitment for Jesus, could not live that humbly. They could not love that much. They could not be that self-sacrificing. But because they were committed to him, because Jesus had gotten under their skin, they lived lives marked by humility and love and self-sacrifice. And they stand as an example for us 2,000 years later. Here's what I would say as we bring this to a close. As we pray in just a moment here. I would invite you to pray a prayer like this, a prayer that says, Lord, send me to be an example. Teach me to be an example, God. That might be your prayer this morning. Another prayer might be this. God, send me an example. I need someone to be a mentor to me. I need someone to disciple me, to teach me what it means to follow Jesus, to teach me how I live like Philippians 2, 5 through 11. So would you pray with me this morning and pray in that way that, that God would send you to be an example or he would send you an example. I pray that the Lord might get the gospel under your skin and under our skin and it would change us so that we live our lives as an example to the communities that surround this place, to the greater city of Pittsburgh, all into the world. May God use us 
as an example as he did those who we've spoken of this morning. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for the example of Jesus Christ. He, who is God, became man and humbled himself, even death on a cross. We thank you, Lord, that this Jesus has set an example for all who would come after him. Oh, Lord, teach us to have the mind of Christ. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us not only the example of Jesus, but the examples of others like Paul and humility and Timothy and love and Epaphroditus and self-sacrifice and Rose Gates and so many others even in our church context here. We thank you for the examples of those who are following in the way of Jesus. Oh God, may we be a people who follow in his way, joining the others who surround us and following the one who is exalted, the name above all names, the one whom at every knee and every tongue will confess as Lord. Oh Lord, I pray that that the gospel of Jesus would get under our skins. That we would be a people transformed by his power and his love in our lives. And Lord, I want to give the chance to anyone who maybe hasn't quite got the gospel under their skin yet. The opportunity to respond to you this morning. I pray, Lord, that there's anyone here who has seen this picture of Jesus, the the exalted one. He who was humbled even to death on the cross, though he is the Son of God. Pray, Lord, if there's anyone who wants to put their faith and trust in him, that this morning they would have the courage, the strength to turn to you and say, God, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's your son. I believe, God, that he did humble himself to death on the cross and through that death on the cross he paid for my sin. Oh, Lord, I'm a sinner. Help me to go in a new direction, God. Teach me, Lord, your ways. Teach me to follow the example of Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus and I trust in him fully. Oh, God, teach me to follow in your footsteps and in your ways to follow the example of Jesus, an example of humility and love and self-sacrifice and use me as a witness to the entire world. God, hear our prayers. We do pray that you will get under our skin and that we will live for Jesus. Thank you for him, the ultimate example, Lord. We praise you, we worship you, and we love you. And we pray all this in his powerful name. Amen.